When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 399 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly living. Welcome to Buy Just Once Week here on the podcast. I love a good theme. And this week's episodes are all about finding those durable and long-lasting products that are so elusive, aren't they? They are unicorns. They do still exist. This week, we're laying out the why and the how behind finding them. Now, full disclosure, we have a bit of a long introduction to today's episode, so if you hate a long introduction, just skip ahead to minute five and it'll get you right into the interview. But I'm biased. I think that this intro is really darn important because I am not only setting up what we're doing this week, but I'm also explaining exactly what quality items are because it occurred to me as I was preparing this week's episodes that some of you may not even know what quality is. Now, to my listeners who are more mature, let's say, you likely remember a time when products were made to last. Garments were made with quality craftsmanship. Appliances were made with metal, not plastic, parts. I am on the tail end of this generation, and you'll hear me speak on it today. I do indeed remember a time when durable and long-lasting products flooded the market. Corporations wanted loyal customers, and they knew that loyalty, customer loyalty, came when they gave them a product that was made to last. But to my younger generations listening right now, you may perhaps not even know that this wonderful time to be alive existed. And that's because you're growing up in the era of planned obsolescence. Companies are purposely designing products to break shortly after the warranty expires. Yes, they do and are doing that. (laughs) So what does that mean? It means you go out and you become a repeat customer of something you've already bought once. You're also living in the era, so two things are happening at once. We got planned obsolescence happening, but we also have a massive cultural shift in the way we view stuff. Collectively, we are moving towards that disposability mindset in which anything and everything, coffee cups, t-shirts, blenders, all of it and more, we view it as disposable. It's garbage after a few years. It's waste. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you already know it to be true. Our massive environmental problems are due to waste in its many forms. So let's all get on the same page, first and foremost. 
with regard to what exactly quality durability looks like in stuff. Because again, we might not know. For clothing, it's natural fibers, cotton, linen, hemp. It's not polyester. It's not acrylic. The best quality denim is made from selvage cotton, which has been made on a shuttle loom. For cottons and knitwear, you want to be looking for long staple yarn. When it's long staple, it's less likely to pill or suffer at points of wear. But items with short fibers are often low quality and won't stand up against time. For bags and belts and accessories, I always recommend animal leather if, and it's a big if, if animal products lie within your values. Vegan leather is often made from plastic. And if the whole item is made from, let's just say, cork, which is a renewable material, as of this moment in time, there's likely still a good amount of plastic in it as well. I did an episode on this. I'll link to it in the show notes. But for pots and pans, I want you looking for cast iron or stainless steel, nothing with a coating, nothing that says ceramic, nothing that says nonstick. We'll be talking about pots and pans in the episode. For furniture, I would much prefer you to go to a thrift store and get something that's made of real solid wood instead of particle board. A bonus points here is if you look for wood items that are made with non-toxic stains, and yes, you do have to get out your magnifying glass and do your research to find these items, but that's quality furniture. For bedding and blankets and pillows and all those other textile products in the home, I always suggest investing in ones made of 100% natural fibers. This is where seeking out those certifications are helpful. GOTS is one. I'll link to a couple others in the show notes. But steer clear of anything that's not a natural fiber. Also steer clear of the natural fibers that are then coated in something. Maybe they have VOCs or flame retardants. Those, again, raise your cancer risk. I'll link to that show, which was a recent drop in this week's show notes as well. For electronics and appliances, electronics and appliances, of course, being so prone to planned obsolescence, be sure you're reading the product's warranty with a critical eye. If a product has a full warranty, then that means that the manufacturer has committed to fix or replace the product within a designated time frame. You want to be looking for full and even better lifetime warranties. Avoid those limited warranties. So when in doubt, If you're looking at product A and product B and product A has a great warranty and product B has a terrible one, I would suggest going with A. All right. So what a long introduction, but hopefully we are all on the same page with what exactly quality is. Now let's get into our interview. Today I'm speaking with Sophie Youngbauer. She and her partner, they have committed themselves to rethinking the American dream by living smaller and by buying for durability over dun, 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 disposability. Now, in our conversation today, Sophie is bringing the tips and tricks. And then on Thursday, let's just set up Thursday while we're here, and let's make this introduction a little bit longer. On Thursday's episode, I am speaking with Tara Button. Tara is the founder of BuyMeOnce.com. It's a resource I've mentioned many a time on this show. It used to be my go-to site to find quality products, but the site has changed an awful lot lately. So Tara and I are 
getting to the bottom of that, I am asking all my awkward and pressing questions on Thursday's episode. So still under the same theme, buy just once. Sophie, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for sitting through that extra long introduction. How are you? Good. How about you? Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So excited to have you. We are talking about durability. We are fighting back against disposability, disposable culture. It's everywhere. I want your thoughts on our disposable culture, but before I get them, I'd love to know more about you. Yeah. So my name is Sophia. I live in Northern Minnesota. My husband and I came up with this crazy idea to design and build a tiny house. So that kind of came from a paper that I wrote during my senior year of college that I titled Rethinking the American Dream, Downsizing as a Sustainable Solution. And when we went into it, we decided that we wanted small but practical. So our tiny house was on a 28-foot trailer. It was 324 square feet overall. And so when we moved into that tiny house, we really had to think about downsizing our possessions and really what was the most important to us and think about things from a sustainability standpoint as far as not wanting to have to replace them a lot, but also knowing that we're going to be using a lot of them over and over again because you have such a small space. We are no longer in the tiny house, but we have definitely brought forward the lessons that we learned living tiny into where we're living today. Well, you'll have to come on a second time and talk to me about those lessons learned in a tiny house. I have seen, in my capacity as this podcast host, I have seen a troubling shift in which we as a culture are shifting our mindset towards buying for disposability. It's short-term thinking short-term benefits like cheap or convenient over the long-term collective good. What are your thoughts here? Do you see this shift? And if so, how does it manifest itself in your life? Yeah. So I took a class in college called Consumption and Its Consequences. And so it looked at America as a whole and how our culture idolizes consumerism, which helps the economy, but is not great as far as sustainability goes. Myself, I've realized after, you know, going to college and coming out into the workforce that when you have to buy things over and over again, you're just tossing money away. And as you said, it is not sustainable to buy something with the intent to just throw it away or get rid of it in a short amount of time. We can see that with the fast fashion industry. But then there's just a lot of things for as far as marketing goes that you think you always want the newest and latest and greatest. And that's, like you said, very short-sighted. And you know, you're just throwing your money away for something that you're going to have to replace. So my philosophy on buying things is to try to do your research before you buy it. Don't do any impulse buying. My kind of rule of thumb is if there's something I want, I write it down and I don't buy it for at least a month and do research about the company, whether or not I, if my values align with the company. And then also a big part of that is if this breaks, is it going to end up in a landfill or is there a way to get it fixed? Is there serviceability? What are the options for this product? And that's something that 
I don't know how many people my generation think that way, but I do think that finances is a big thing. And so often the cheaper thing is less expensive. So at a necessity, you do buy the cheaper things. So I feel like the idea that a lot of people are like, oh, I'll get the cheap set of pans. And then when I'll get married, I'll ask for the really nice ones. That's what a lot of people do. And of course, when I was in college, I lived off campus. So someone bought a really crappy, cheap pair of like aluminum plans that maybe made it through the year. And for longevity, it would have made a lot more sense to have gotten something that would last a lot longer. Yeah, you're bringing up a lot there. You're bringing up the privilege issue. You're bringing up the fact that many of us Americans coming out of college were delaying the move perhaps to the forever home or delaying the life transition into the forever partner, the creation of the family. So there's this 20s and maybe 30s in which many young people are living a transient lifestyle. So why would they spend more money for the durable, long-lasting items? I did see an article recently that said that the durable home goods brand, so the big names in housewares that have built a reputation along the lines of durability, Pyrex being one of them, they're going out of business because when companies create a durable product, consumers don't have to go out and repeat buy. And so the result is either explicitly disposable products that are designed to be used once or twice and then thrown out and rebought, or the result is implicitly disposable products in which these items are shoddily made with cheap parts that then also get disposed in a few years. So the incentive for companies to create durable products is very small, right? Because they're not going to have repeat customers that way. And that is super troubling to me as the host of this podcast. But you did mention the privilege issue. And I want to talk about that because whenever we talk about buying for durability, somebody always says, but there's a privilege issue there. Can you walk us through that privilege issue? Like I was saying, a lot of the things that I'm we're probably going to talk about today, I hope will last a lifetime. That's why I bought them. But they do typically come with a higher price tag than a similar option that is just made to last a year or less. And like you were talking about that article, it sounds like a lot of planned obsolescence where it's companies that intentionally engineer their products to last for a certain amount of time. Sometimes if they have warranties, it's we're going to engineer this to last just over the warranty period so that we don't have to replace it, but it's not going to last that long. And then you need to come back and buy another one, which of course is a great business strategy to get people coming back and buying things. But personally, if I have a bad experience with something and it breaks, I'm not going to go back and buy the same product because I want that sustainability and durability. Sometimes there truly just is not extra money. But on some of these things, like when we lived in the tiny house, we had one pot, one pan, one griddle, and that was it. And so I think as Americans, we always think bigger is better and you need to have all of these things. And something that I learned and internalized from 
the Zero Waste Cookbook, she talks a lot about how we are fed all these marketing messages that you think you need X, Y, and Z. And if you don't have that, how could you possibly make a great meal? And the reality of the fact is, if you go back a couple of generations, these things didn't even exist, like avocado tools. And there's all these things where you don't need that. There's plenty of other tools you could use in the kitchen to have the same result. So just being mindful of what is being marketed to you. Is this actually a need or do you have something else that could fulfill that? There's people that certainly don't have the money to spend on, say, stainless steel cookware. It is way more expensive than an aluminum pan that you can buy and might last you a year. So there is that reality. But I think that if your values are truly that you want to buy something that lasts, you can maybe make sacrifices in other areas of your life in order to make those investment pieces. I agree with all of that. And I'm just wondering out loud. I have no idea if this is true, but I'm just going to wonder out loud. I wonder if... so. So when we talk about durable products when they were made, we're talking about post-World War II, right? We're the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even probably into the 80s. Products were made for longevity and durability. I have no idea if the privilege issue was coming up then. However, I wonder if perhaps it wasn't even a thing because disposability hadn't entered the market yet. So when you go out to buy those cookie sheets, let's say, the cheaper ones that are going to last you only a year weren't even on the market. So if you needed cookie sheets, there was one option and that's what you bought. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like today when we're talking about buying for longevity, durability... The privilege question, the privilege problem comes up as a means to bolster the disposability mindset that is currently taking over. I would agree with that. I think part of when I say privilege is also talking about having the time to do research, the time to, you know, a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are things you can probably find secondhand if you do some digging, but you have to have the resource of time. And like you were saying, I don't know, I wasn't alive in the 80s, so I don't I don't really know. I know that there are certainly a lot more brands. Now, if you Google frying pan, I don't even know how many different options would be available. And part of that is the era of the internet and being able to go online and shop back when my grandmother was looking for her baking ware, I'm guessing she went down to the nearest store and saw what was there and bought from them. She wasn't going on to Amazon and saying, hey, what are my options here? Part of that is just how the world has changed and how much access you have to different types of products. I'm a pretty firm believer in if I can find something that's made in America. I want to support that just because there's generally better regulatory practices in the production of manufacturing in the US. So I don't when things are made overseas, I don't necessarily know the working conditions and what is being regulated or not. So one of the things that I really look for is trying to support American made and also when companies are transparent about how they are making their products. 
because made in America doesn't actually have to be made 100% in America. So I really look for transparency with companies as well. So you just mentioned there one of your go-to techniques. I don't know. I don't, that's not the right word, but one of your best tips for shopping for, again, longevity, you look for American-made products. I know you have more. And so we're going to take a break, Sophie. But when we come back, I'm going to ask you for the ways in which you shop for those long-lasting and durable products. We'll do that after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Sophie Youngbauer. She is a sustainability educator, and she also has an amazing Instagram, everybody. Go follow her. She's at radtinyhome. Sophie, before the break, you started alluding to the tips and tricks you use when shopping for longevity and durability. And you mentioned you shop for American-made products. I'll be honest, the American-made tagline on products, I've never thought much about, and I'm so happy you brought it up. Because number one, that's not a regulated marketing term. It's not a third-party certification. And so hopefully American Made does say something about the quality of the product that it's smack dab in the middle on. But we can't say for certain whether it is or isn't. I know I have covered on this show before the assumption that is based in some truth that Chinese-made products are 
cheaper and more disposable. There is some truth to that. But then does that mean that on the flip side of that coin, American-made products are more durable? I'm not sure. I'll be honest. When I hear American-made, I my mind, and again, not sure if this is based in reality or not. I'm going to cover this on a future episode to get to the bottom of it. But my mind as a consumer goes immediately to oh, this product is marketing more economically driven consumers who are really concerned about the economy and want to keep their money in America. That's where my mind goes. But I'm going to look into this more. Does American made mean more durable? And uh, you did accurately allude to the fact that products that are made in America have the backing of stricter federal regulations behind them. So I hear that point. But what else do you do? Where else do you go? How else do you research products when you're searching for those long-lasting items? One of the ways that you can do this is looking on consumer reports. You generally have to pay to get that so that there's a paywall behind that. Everyone and their mother is an influencer this day. So just because someone that you don't know is spouting how great a pan is on Instagram doesn't mean that they know really anything about the product or that they really like it. It just means that they're probably getting paid to promote it and or getting paid if you buy it. Marketing is everywhere and people are basically trying to get you to spend your money If you have a friend or family member that is recommending a product, I like to believe my family and friends when they say, hey, I've tried this thing. I've used it for a while. It's great. And make sure it's not, oh, I bought this yesterday and I tried it once and it's great. So if you're really looking for that item that's going to last a long time, say, okay, that's great. Let me know in a year how you think this product is performing. I guess I will just say broadly, anything that's marketing itself as nonstick or has a coating That's not going to be made to last. That's eventually going to degrade. And by degrade, that means probably coming off on the food or whatever you're cooking in it. So personally, I don't believe there's anything that's actually nonstick that's going to be durable. And I go back and think about, does my grandma have this? And truly, a lot of things that I think will last my lifetime were my grandparents at one point. I inherited a KitchenAid stand mixer, which I probably wouldn't have bought myself, but it's nice to have. And they have, I did some research and they do have a warranty program. So you can send in your product if it fails. I worked in the restaurant industry at one point, seeing kind of the commercial grade things and understanding what the difference is between commercial grade and like residential. You can buy commercial grade things, which are going to generally last longer because they're made for more use than is traditionally seen. But then also, once you've done research and realized a particular product or brand that you like, you can also try to find those things secondhand because it was truly made to last. One of the things I've done is looking at antique stores, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. Sometimes people end up with duplicates, so there's nothing wrong with it, but they have two of them. That's a great way to do it. And just trying to shop locally. So my suggestion is to try to do as much shopping locally as you can before going online, because sometimes what you see online and what shows up at the door is not the same thing. 
Those are all amazing, Sophie. And I have so many things to say (laughs) to piggyback off of what you said. The first is my mother's basement. And mom, if you're listening right now, I love you. My mother's basement, because her kitchen isn't that big. My mother's basement is filled with products that she registered for and received at her wedding in 1979. The marriage did not last, but the kitchen appliances lasted, hence them still being in her basement. She stores them there. She uses them when she needs them. They still work. They still last. Now, I've been married for 12 years. The items that I registered for, first of all, I didn't know what I was doing 12 years ago. I don't know what I registered for. I wasn't a conscious consumer when I was using the clicker. Almost everything has broken. And so now I'm using my mom's stuff from 1978-79. A great example being her coffee grinder. She gave it to me. She doesn't grind coffee. I've gone through multiple 2020-ish coffee grinders, and my mom's from the 70s is still grinding coffee. And so I say all that to say, that's a really long way of saying If you were going to a thrift store and there are older appliances, older items that are there and are working, that is a huge signal to you as a consumer that it is well-made, that it was made for durability, that it was made for longevity, simply because it's not in the trash can. It's in the thrift store. I also just want to say here too, it's about a mindset shift from shopping for quantity, like amassing a bunch of stuff to shopping for quality. And when you understand what quality is, that sorts out, that like sifts out, I guess would be a better word, an awful lot of products on the shelf. So in my opinion, plastic almost never lends itself to quality. Plastic in the kitchen, absolutely not. So if there are two products that I'm looking at, I'm in the store and there's a silicone option, which has high heat resistance and low toxicity, but right next to it, there's a plastic option, which is low heat resistance and high toxicity, but it's like significantly cheaper. The silicone one because it's not plastic, again, is the quality product in my mind. The same thing goes for any room in your house. Particle board furniture items not meant for longevity or durability. Real wood is, however, it's a very long way of saying that if you understand the principles of quality, like when shopping for quality, then shopping for longevity is not something hard or difficult that you have to put extra mind power and effort into doing. Let's talk about finding those brands that do stand by their products. Let's talk about warranties. They do exist, but it seems to me as a consumer that the number, the amount of companies who stand by their products, that amount is shrinking. So how do I find them? I definitely agree with that. It is hard to find them. If it is something that you think or you're making an investment purchase and it's going to be around for a while, that's when you start looking into those company websites. That's the great thing about the internet is that you can hopefully find this information and make conscious effort to look into before you purchase and do a lot of research so that you don't have buyer's regret. So on 
a lot of company pages, if they do offer things like warranty servicing and things like that, they'll make that very obvious. You can also pick up the phone and call. And that is also a good gauge if you call beforehand and see how long you have to wait to talk to someone. Is this something that I want to buy? And if I'm going to have to sit on the phone for half an hour to be able to talk to someone, that's a good way to gauge if that's a product that you want to buy in a company that you want to deal with if something goes wrong with it. And it's a, most of the things that when I thought about it, what I thought was going to last a long time were not things that I bought new. So they were either handed down to me or I found, like I said, I got all my Pyrex either at garage sales or the local Goodwill. It is interesting. A lot of people don't know this. So Pyrex is an interesting topic. I really love and like using Pyrex. It is glass, but it's heated, I think, when they create it to much higher temperatures, which gives it the durability. But because of that, you can't actually recycle Pyrex. So it's a double-edged sword where I don't necessarily love the fact that it can't be recycled, but there is so much Pyrex already in the world that, like I said, everything that I own came from a secondhand store. And the thing I do appreciate is they did come out recently with a line that's a silicone lid and glass rather than the plastic. Because like you said, plastic is in a misnomer where it won't break down. It's this terrible thing that gets sent to the landfill and then it sits there for years and years. But when plastic is exposed to light heat radiation, whether that's solar or whatnot, it does break down and get brittle and break. And so plastic, even though it's so pervasive, is not a good long-lasting thing to be using. Thinking outside the box sometimes works great and not that you need to deprive yourself, but sometimes thinking, okay, is this something I actually need or can this one appliance do the job of say three appliances and then rather than having three appliances that break and having to replace Maybe you just have that one that is really high quality and is backed by a company that will fix it if something goes wrong. I'm happy you mentioned that, Sophie, because I think you're aptly speaking to the consumerist hamster wheel, as I like to call it. I don't know what else to call it. There is so much freedom and just hopping off. And I know that probably sounds strange, especially to you, because it sounds like you've hopped off. But to anybody listening who, you know, is reluctant, they're still on the fence, maybe they're just started listening to the show, like, just hop off the consumerist bandwagon, say goodbye to disposability, or say goodbye if you are privileged enough, say goodbye to shopping for the cheapest price. There is so much freedom and peace that comes with just saying, you know what? What everybody else is doing with their money and their purchasing, that's not working for me. So freeing. So give me your, let's say, top three, maybe top five if you feel really passionate, but top three to five preferred products with regard to longevity and durability. For people who are listening and they don't, they're not exactly sure what longevity or durability even means, where would you direct them? Give me three to five items. Yeah. So for me, I think the things that come to the top of the mind are all the things in the kitchen. 
So for me, that includes cast iron, which I feel like it's hard to have a conversation about longevity without cast iron. Like I said, our smallest pan was my great grandma's. And then the other three that we have all came from antique stores. So we do have, I think they're over 50 year old pans. And you can also get cast iron as a griddle, a Dutch oven. It comes in a lot of different forms if you look for it. So then you don't have to be buying like cheap aluminum. Stainless steel is also great. You want to be looking for fully clad. So not something that just has a stainless steel bottom that might come off. And stainless steel, you can get all sorts of things, cookware, pots and pans. Our French press that we have for guests is a stainless steel one that I bought off of uh, Facebook Marketplace, and I will never replace it, I'm sure. Knock on wood. <laughs> we have a compost pail that is stainless steel, and they even make ice packs that are stainless steel. So that was a fun thing to find, That something that's traditionally plastic. Another thing is my husband's grandfather was a chef, so we inherited some of his knives. So our our chef's knife is a high-quality knife that can be resharpened with lower-quality knives. You can resharpen them, but they won't stay sharp for nearly as long, and eventually you'll probably want to end up replacing it. We touched on Pyrex before. We have quite a lot of Pyrex that I found all secondhand. The KitchenAid stand mixer, I looked into their warranty program and you can send it right back. So I'm hoping that will last another generation. That was my grandmother's. And then you had mentioned silicone bags. We do love using those in the kitchen. There is a brand that I use that has a take back and recycling program. So I think that's important because you don't want those ending up in the trash. So I think those would be the things that come to top of my mind. And those are amazing suggestions. I will just add, I actually registered for it. And this is thanks to my mother-in-law who told me the pans I should register for before my wedding. We have a great set of stainless steel, fully stainless steel pots and pans. However, if I had to go back and do it again, I would have invested in cast iron. It seems to me as though Cast iron is the gold standard. However, there is a perception out there in the world that cast iron means, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but cast iron is Le Creuset. There are so many other cast iron brands out there that are not $400. And so I'll just say that as well. And if yeah. you have anything to add, you can. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so our like skillets are all cast iron. They are antiques. So it's like the Wagner and Griswold are known as the gold standards. And I found them right at our local antique store. So I will say a tip if you are trying to find cast iron, obviously it's usually used. So you just want to make sure that it's not warped. Do what I call a spin test. So make sure there's no wobbles buying it online just because you can't actually do that before you buy it. And especially if you're trying to find more of the more sought after brands online, they can be pretty expensive. So I would caution against that if possible, just because you don't know what it is until you get it in your hands. But like you're saying, there's definitely other companies, American made that do true cast iron that don't have any coatings on them, whether that's ceramic or not. 
I do have a Dutch oven that is ceramic. And to be honest, I wish it wasn't because I think at some point that coating might wear off. So that is definitely something to keep in mind. And the other thing I'll say about all these things is just because they are made to last doesn't mean that they're going to if you don't take care of them. A lot of people shy away from cast iron because they think it's this huge commitment. And you can buy brand new ones that are pre-seasoned. And I think it just takes a little bit of getting used to, making sure you have the right tools. So, you know, a good seasoning oil, making sure that when you clean it, you aren't letting it soak for hours. And there's tons of education if you just Google how to season or treat cast iron pan that you can look up. My favorite things are using chain mail. It's like a metal thing to clean it off. And once you get used to it, it's really not a big issue. And making sure that you keep them dry because you do not want moisture sitting in your cast iron pan. But if you, I'm sure you can Google stories of people finding a super rusted pan and they spend hours restoring it and you actually can do that. But the best thing is, of course, to take care of it to begin with. So I will maybe end with that is the things are only as sustainable and long lasting as how well you take care of them as well. That's a perfect final word, Sophie. Thank you so much. And I'll just say the rusty cast iron stories, like I have plenty of them from my own kitchen, my own life. Sophie, thank you so much. I enjoyed every second of talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Listeners, that's a wrap, my friends. The show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 399. Be sure to come back on Thursday for my interview with Tara Button. She is, again, the founder of buymeonce.com. We're taking this buy just once theme and we're attacking it from another angle. Where exactly do we find these products? Is there a way to do so without the extra time, effort, energy, etc.? That Sophie aptly discussed on today's episode. Now, super long episode today, but we do have an eco tip and it comes from Kim and it's a great one. Kim listened to my episode on gender neutral clothing. She wrote to me and suggested that we extend those lessons of gender neutrality when we're buying clothes for our kids. We extend those lessons into other kids stuff. So buy a red training bike instead of a pink or a blue one or orange rollerblades. No need for Spider-Man or Barbie bikes and toys and ride-ons because they're just going to be excited to learn how to ride a bike or to use rollerblades. So why bring gender into it, which then greatly reduces the ability to pass on to additional children later on? So stay away from the gendered colors and characters not just on clothing, but on everything, if you can. I will see you Thursday. Reach out if you need me and take care.